Evening, church. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Dexter, or Vendo, and it's so good to be here tonight worshipping with you on the first service of 2019. Now, I don't know what's going to happen in 2019 for Oikos Church, but inside my gut feeling, I believe that God's going to do something crazy with us. With or without us, actually. Because I believe that Christ is drawing people to himself. And he continues to do so. Now, we as a church can join God on his mission. Or we could sit out and miss out on all the blessing, all the joy, and all the growth that he has in store for us. He's doing something crazy. And he can do it with us or without us. The choice is really up to you. Are you going to join him? Before I start my sermon, I really suggest that you, if, if you weren't here for last week, I really suggest that you go home and you, you click on our webpage, go to the sermon section and listen to the podcast last week uh, by Reverend Richard, uh, Dr. Reverend Richard Roy. Because what I'm going to say tonight is pretty much me just piggyback, piggybacking him. It's a funny picture because he's quite old and I'm just, no, don't, don't picture that. <laughs> I'm just going to piggyback on his message and, and, and I'm just so excited tonight because I feel that some of you are going to see Christ. Jesus, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, it's to bring people back to God. Or you can view this ministry as sharing the gospel or the Great Commission. Or in our day terms, we call that evangelism. It's for us to go and share people the gospel, the good news, so they will cross over from life to death, to be in a relationship with Him. Now, the Bible also tells us to do the works of an evangelist. Every one of us, even if you're not gifted in that department, no, you're still called to do the work of evangelism. Now, the next question is, okay, so we're called to do that. How? Which example, who can we look to? And tonight, I want you to turn to Luke 24. We look to the one himself. We look to Jesus himself. And this is one of the first instances of the risen Christ doing evangelism. And if you really observe closely tonight, you'll get a tip or two on how to evangelize and how to share the gospel and how about to do things. But before we dig into the passage, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you that we are here tonight. We pray that you send your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes, Lord. Open our eyes to see your Son. Because if we see Him, our lives are never going to be the same. There will be change. There will be transformation. Lord, I pray for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I start off with a question first. Let's say you woke up from a two-year coma. Okay, so you wake up. It's 2021. Yes, 2021. Now you woke up. What would be the first thing that you do after you woke up from a coma? What would be the first thing that you do? <laughs> okay, some of you, 
maybe would run to your fridge because you're hungry. Some <laughs> the food that your parents did for you, had for you. Would some of you go straight online to check up on your notification on, on Facebook? Or would some of you go to your Instagram to see how many followers are still following you? Or would some of you stalk your crushes, that boy or girl, to see if they're single or not? The reason why they're called crushes is because they crush you when they're taken. And, it, and if they're not taken by you. What would you do first? Whatever you do first shows me your passion, your pleasures, and your priorities. Would you run and hug your parents? Now, if you do that, that tells me something about you. If you go straight back to work, that tells me something's wrong with you and you need therapy. Who wakes up from a coma and goes to work straight away? Whatever you choose to do first reveals your highest priority. Now, the context of this passage, we get to see what one of the highest priority that Jesus has. So the context of this is Jesus has just been brutally beaten, put on a cross. He died, and that was the Friday. And now this is the Sunday, this passage from Luke 24. Can we have it up? Starting from verse 13. Then this, in the morning, he, he woke up and he appeared to these ladies and then to, to John and, and Peter. And now he's... He's on a road and he encounters two guys, not accidentally, but intentionally. Now, these two guys are not just wrestling with doubt and despair. No, no, they're pinned down by it. And so church, would you travel back in time with me and let's peer into this historical event and we will learn something, one or two things about evangelism. Now, verse 13. Now, the two of them were traveling to this village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Seven miles, that's roughly from Bull Creek Station, the station next to us, to the city, walking. Now, how do I know that? Because I ran that distance. It's about 11 to 12 kilometers. Okay, I didn't run it, I jogged it. Okay, I walked it. Okay, it would take around... About two hours to four hours if you walk really slow, if you walk slow and talk. Okay, so I've done that distance. It's around Bull Creek. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did it with frame. From Bull Creek Station to the city. That's the distance. It's not too far, but it is quite a long distance. Would you be walking two to four hours? No, like I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> it's just really long. Now, what were these two doing? The Bible says they were talking with each other about everything that has happened over in the weekend. So pretty much they were talking about the crucifixion, how crazy it was, how shocking it was, and how disappointing it was. And then Jesus comes alongside them, and they don't recognize who Jesus was. And at this, I throw up my hands. I'm like, come on, guys. He's the only one with luscious blonde hair and blue eyes in the Middle East. How could you not recognize him? Now, that is historically incorrect. They didn't recognize him. And what Jesus does, he just comes up besides them and he says, Yo, what's up? What are you guys doing? What are you guys talking about? Just chilling and he just comes sneakily beside them. And here's what I want you to see. Jesus draws near. 
Why? Because these two, they didn't even have a clue or have any idea to draw near to Jesus. That's why Jesus draws near to them. Throughout the ages, throughout the generations, God continues to draw near to mankind because mankind is sinful and they do not seek the Lord. And so God draws near here in this instance with care and love and intention. And Oikos Church, maybe 2019 is the year where we start drawing near to people. Because you know why? Because people won't come to you to look for the gospel. No, no, you have to bring the gospel to them. People are not likely to come into this church. So you know what we need to do? We need to be the church and go out there and bring the church to them. That's what we need to do. And notice how Jesus, when he starts this conversation, he enters this conversation, he comes alongside them and he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And look what he does next. He starts listening. He listens to what they have to say. Maybe some of us should start listening as well. Listening to your boss's concerns, listening to your friend's concerns, and just, just listen. Listen. And so Jesus just listens. And the Bible says the pair stops, and their face was downcast. They were really sad. Now, there's one disciple who's, there's one person in here who's unnamed, but another person, his name was Cleopas. Now, I don't know if Cleopas was there to witness the scene of Jesus' crucifixion or not, but I know his wife was there because in John chapter 19, there was three different types of Marys standing just beneath the cross. And one of the Marys was Mary, the wife of Cleopas. So even if he was there to witness this, or even if he didn't, if he wasn't there, at least his wife would have come and told him about what has happened. And that news would have just shattered him. It would have destroyed him. And so, of course, he's sad. And so when Jesus said, hey, you guys look sad. You guys looked bummed. And Cleopas lashes out and says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? Don't you know what has happened? In other words, have you not watched the news? Do you, do you not have social media? Don't you read the news feeds? Don't you look at people's tweets? They're all tweeting about him. They've Snapchatted the whole thing on the cross. At least you even have access to a radio. How have you been living under a rock or in a cave these last few days? And Jesus probably be thinking, literally, yeah. But Jesus plays along. He says, what things? What things? What has been happening? And ironically, what happens is Cleopas starts talking about Jesus to Jesus. And then the two starts explaining scripture to the author. That's ironic. And we find that why now the prayer was so depressed. Verse 19. That we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth. How he was really awesome in power and in deed, but he died. It's really, it's a shame, you know. We, we were hoping that he was going to be the one. 
But our chief priests handed him to our rulers and they crucified him. They killed him. And then they mentioned something about it's already been the third day. Now, this is important. I don't want you to miss this because today when we talk about somebody being dead or clinically dead, usually what happens is if their heart stopped beating, if they're not breathing, and also if, they've been, if their brain stopped working for about a minute, they're clinically dead. But back then, the Jews believe you're only really dead after three days. Because they believe that when someone dies, their spirit will still hover around the body. And if the spirit can re-enter back in the body within those three days, that person can live again. But here they're saying it's already been three days. Here they are expressing like how the UFC announces express. It's all over. It is done. There is no hope no more that this man is going to raise again from life. What they were expecting was, was a conquering Messiah, but what they got was a crucified man. They were expecting a lion of Judah, but what they got was a meek, gentle lamb that was slain. What they were expecting was a war hero, a great politician, a king, but what they got was a man who was crucified, a criminal's death. Of course, they're bummed out. Of course, they are depressed. And then they rant on about how there was these women in their group saying that they, 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 they saw angels. And of course, this group, Cleo and his buddy doesn't believe this. And then there was another pair, John and Peter, who says they claim that Christ is risen. But again, Cleo and his buddy says, nah. Because in their minds... Resurrection cannot happen. It is impossible. And I don't blame them. Who here goes to a funeral expecting that the casket will be lifted up and the person just walks out? You don't expect that in a funeral, do you? But what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Jesus, the risen Christ, he comes alongside them and he shows them a different type of view. And then he says, hey, you know what? These things aren't stupid. These things don't seem stupid as it seems. You're the one that's stupid. You're just looking at, at it the wrong way. He just doesn't rebuke them. He, he corrects them and he shows them. Jesus then points to Scripture. The next thing... Sorry, guys. The next thing Jesus does is he points to Scripture, beginning with Moses all the way to the prophets. In other words, from Genesis all the way to Malachi. He points to the law, all the symbols, all the traditions, all the rituals. It points... To a person. Why doesn't it point to a principle? Because a principle doesn't save anyone. He points to a person and he draws attention to himself. And the scriptures back in those days were the Old Testament. Now, there's a group of people nowadays that say, oh, the Old Testament is obsolete. It is no use. It is old. We live in the new covenant. That's all we need to worry about. Don't worry about the old covenant. Don't worry about the Old Testament. I kind of disagree. Because if all of Scripture 
Even the Old Testament points to Jesus. My question is, can Jesus be obsolete? But Dexter, aren't we? We're not under the law no more. But then Matthew 5 verse 17 says, Jesus, he, he didn't come to nullify the law. No, no, he's come to fulfill it. The only two things in life in this earth that's going to last forever. The first one is a human soul has eternity. It will last for eternity. And the second thing the Bible says itself in Psalms and First Peter, the second thing that will last for eternity is the word of God. And the word of God includes the Old Testament. So if something that is timely, that will last eternity, can that thing be made obsolete? Of course it's not. And I just love also the way how Jesus used Scripture. Now, there are evangelists that will say, hey, no point using the Bible because people don't believe in the Bible no more. So, you know, you try to find some other ways. Now, I kind of disagree. Why? Because I know and I believe that the Word of God is powerful. It is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. Imagine if you were a soldier and God gives you your weapon and you say to God, no, I don't need a weapon. And you go out on the battlefield. You think you're going to survive? You think you're going to win any victories? This is for us. And the word of God says that God, when he speaks his word, it does not come back in vain. It will accomplish what it needs to do. Charles Spurgeon says, the word of God is like a lion. You don't need to defend the lion. All you need to do is let it loose. The lion will defend itself. There have been many stories, have there not, about people just reading the word of God. There's no outside help. There's no pastor. There's no, there's no evangelist or anything like God uses them. But there is stories where people just read the word of God purely. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, they come to believe in God. So why do we have this idea where we can go out on the battlefield not needing the Word of God? I don't know where they get that from. This is a Gideon's Bible. Now, I received one of these when I went to one of the Gideon's breakfasts a few years ago with all the Gideon pastors. How, and then they were sharing stories of how they were giving away these Bibles. Okay, I don't know if you received one. You probably got it at school. You'll see these in the hotels. Now, these Gideon people, they will go to prison and they will hand out these mini Bibles to the inmates. And you know what happens? The inmates will be fighting each other, will be rushing in line just to grab these books. They don't just grab one, they grab a few. Why? Because these pages, as you can see, they're thin and they're just the perfect size to wrap their tobacco. That's what happens. And what happens is these guys will wrap their tobacco and they will, I don't know if it's tobacco or something else, and they'll smoke it. Now, because they're in prison, because they're inmates, prison can be boring. And so some of these criminals will start reading the Word of God before they smoke the Word of God. And what happened was they met the God Most High. 
They came to faith through just reading a few pages of this before. This is the word of God. Use it. Okay, you don't need to memorize everything and, and quote like, oh, it's from Isaiah 52, 9 or, or something like that. No, you can incorporate it into your everyday speech, everyday life, and you'd be surprised how powerful it is. And so what happens is Jesus describes the whole of the Old Testament to them from Genesis to Malachi. And now this is a long journey and they were, they were just talking. But you know what? I believe before they knew it, they arrived at their destination. And I don't have any other way to describe this, but I view this scene as one of the most gangster scene in all of Scripture. Don't have any other vernacular to show it to you or to say it to you. But what happens literally is they get arrived to the destination after Jesus explains everything to them. And Jesus just goes, peace. And he continues walking. But the Bible says he was pretending to walk. He was smirking. Like he knew they were going to call him back. And so they did. They called him back and they urged strongly, hey, Jesus, can you stay with us? It's dark. And back then there was no street lights. There were no lamp. It's just really dangerous to travel back in the dark. Hey, hey, Jesus, at least stay for dinner. And you know what Jesus says? He says, sure. Now this is another point of evangelism. Look how much time Jesus has for these guys. Seven mile walk. And now he even dines with them. And back then a meal was long. It wasn't short. It wasn't 30 minutes or an hour. It could take a bit longer. And Jesus, look, look at how at ease Jesus is. Just walking, talking. And just eating with them. He was building relationship with them. You know, and this encourages me because sometimes God doesn't show up through the booming clouds of thunder and lightning, the spectacular. No, no. He sometimes appears through just the mundane, ordinary walks and talks of life. And He, our Lord, comes close and he draws close to us and he initiates the conversations with us. And the Bible says, while they were at their table, Jesus took the bread, he broke it, he gave thanks and he gave it to them. Now the breaking of bread was a picture of what happened to his body. Tonight we're going to commemorate the Holy Communion how Jesus' body was broken and how his blood was spilt. And it's a message to us. It's really a symbolic message to us tonight. It's like him saying, hey, just sit. I will serve you. You can just sit and rest. Don't rely on your works, your merits, and your deeds because that won't cut it. But here, this this is my body that was broken for you. This is the new covenant. This is my blood that, that's been poured out for you for the forgiveness of many sins. I'm going to serve you. How Jesus served the two men tonight, I believe Jesus serves us. Take it. 
I'm offering myself to you. I'm offering my righteousness to you. And in return, let me take your sinfulness. So later on, when, when we come into the time of Holy Communion, I want you to take the bread and cup with reverence. I'll ask the band to come up as I finish up. The Bible says he took the bread, he broke it, and then he gave it to them. And it says their eyes were then opened. Of course, God is in the background opening their eyes because you cannot see the Son unless God the Father reveals Him to you. I wonder what happened that night. If you were just there, are you curious? If you were just there that night sitting around that dinner table when as Jesus took the bread and He broke it, I wonder when He was just giving them the bread. I wonder if they finally saw the nails pierced hands. As he broke the bread, he wasn't just talking to them. He was demonstrating to them what has happened to his body. Remember the line that he says, doesn't the Son of Man need to suffer before he enters glory? He doesn't just say it, he demonstrated it. And I wonder, was it then that they finally understood? Finally, did it click? And when it finally clicked for these, this duo, the next thing they said was, I knew it. Sure you did, buddy. I knew it. Didn't our hearts burn when he was talking to us on the road? Didn't our hearts burn when he was explaining scripture to us? You know what they did with this heartburn? They ran with it. They ran back to Jerusalem. Now, they were convincing Jesus, hey, don't travel in the, in the dark, no. But now they are the ones not just walking now, they're running back. Why? To tell the disciples. Why? They wanted to tell somebody about what has happened. That Jesus really is alive. That He really did rose from the dead. Now, this resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a fairy tale. It's not a myth. It's not a legend. But it is a historical fact. It is an event that really did happen. As they arrest Him, as they beat Him a dozen times, as they ripped the skin off His back and then put a heavy cross on it and made Him carry it to His execution ground. And when He got to His execution ground, they nailed His hands and His feet on it and then they lifted that cross up to let Him there to hang and dry for six hours. And while He was hanging there, the weight of his body was crushing him, suffocating him. And not only that, they drove a spear up the side of his rib, plunged into his lungs, and they ripped it out. With it coming water and blood, all spilt all over the cross. Jesus really did die for me and you. He really did go to the grave. He really was buried. But then three days later, the grave could not contain Him. Death could not defeat Him. And He took away death's sting and He walks out in, in victorious light and He runs to Emmaus. Why? 
The first thing that he does, one of the first things that he does after he's risen from the dead, he goes and chases who? He chased those who have doubted in him. He chased down those who are walking in their sorrow and in their despair. Just when they were hopeless, hope arrives. It was like a sun that breaks through the darkness and usher in hope and a new dawn. Now this passage, it really brings me hope. Because I have two best friends that I grew up with. Now one of them never came to the Lord, but I know I had this other friend who who grew up with me. I met him in church since five and a half years old. Our, our friendship has been over 20 years and, and I always saw him at church. I actually saw him like seven days a week church and he went, we, we went to school together. We did everything together. And what happened was throughout the years, I've become a pastor, but he fell away from the Lord. He stopped going to church and he just started hating Christians. Now that really breaks my heart. Every time I think about these two friends, I, cr- I cry. I cry because because as you know, as I read the Bible, as I teach the Bible, because I'm a pastor, that's my job. As I read the words that is written in here, I believe everything that it says about heaven and also hell. There's a place called hell, gnashing of teeth and worms, and, and there's suffering, and I don't want my friends to go there. I love them at the, from the bottom of my heart. And sometimes I just want to yell out to God, God, can I rip these pages out? Because I love them so much. They're, so, they're such good people. Like, I don't want them to go to hell. And I pray, Jesus, can you chase them down? Can you walk alongside them? Can you bring them back to you? I don't know about you, if you have a brother, if you have a sister, if you have a mum or dad or a close friend or a spouse that has drifted away from the Lord, let this passage in Luke 24 bring you hope. And sometimes Jesus may be using you to bring them back as you continue to journey along with them, walk with them, maybe Christ will show Himself through your life, through your example, through your words. Do you have a heart for the lost, Oikos Church? Do you have a heart to chase down those who have backslided? Here's the thing, Oikos Church. A church that doesn't have a heart for the lost is often lost itself. Let's be a gospel-living church. Let's be a gospel-centered church. And let's be a gospel-sharing church. I'll close off with this quote from John Wesley. He says, Give me a hundred preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen. Such alone will shake the gates of hell. What are you saying? I don't care if you're going to become a pastor or a missionary or a church leader. I don't care about that. I just care if you just fear sin and you love God. You fear sin so much that, that you go out and you preach the gospel. 
Because a church that does that shakes the gates of hell. Yes, the gates of hell may be wide open, but no one is entering that gate. Because why? They're entering the narrow gate. Because you, church, joined the mission with God. And most of the time, you need to know that God is doing all the heavy lifting and we are just coming along for the ride. God bless you, church.